So a minute ago, you were telling us about how your duck was asking for the Wi-Fi password. Yeah, <laughs> my duck. I, I my duck is outside, and I, sometimes I go to bed at night and I lay in bed and I go, oh, it's like five degrees outside, and I forgot to close the chicken coop. And I go, whatever. One night they won't get eaten. Hopefully this won't be the night. And I'll wake up in the morning with the rooster right outside my bedroom window, like cockadoodle doing it, like five a.m. And Oof. anyway, that's what happened this morning. And then at one point I started hearing the duck just repeatedly going, wah, 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 wah. And it's like, she seems to be right outside. So I go out and I see, and there's usually a, a pack of three ducks. And just now there was just one just quacking for 30 minutes before it kind of got to me. And I went outside and I said, go. And uh, she went away. But I think she's quacking because either she can't remember the password to the internet or her three mm. two buddies are missing. I don't know what happened. I don't know. What they oh, it's probably the they Wi-Fi don't write thing. things down. <laughs> yeah, they never write anything down. What's funny yeah. is, so uh, the other day, we've had a series of ducks. Like, we started out with uh, three, and then they had babies, so then we had f- another three, so then there was six, and then one day there was four, and then there was three. So now we just have three again, and I don't know which ones are the babies, which ones are the adults. But apparently knows apparently Taylor knows that those three are just girls, because I went in the coop the other day, and there's a giant pile of eggs, like, Green eggs from the ducks, giant pile. And I was like, oh, cool. I'll let them hatch and just have like a gaggle of ducks. And uh, I said to Taylor, I was like, the ducks are sitting on maybe 20 eggs. I'm going to let her try and hatch at least a couple of them. And she goes, well, there's no boys around. Go, how do you know that? Because you don't know what duck, you don't know what boy ducks are. I go, they all look exactly the same. She goes, how do you know that? They were bow ties. Did, what are you doing? She goes, yeah, yeah, right. I know. I didn't even wonder what the bow ties were hanging on the fence drying for. And she, she said, no, those are just three girls. I was like, well, how do you know that? Like, they didn't meet anybody out and about because they fly. The ducks fly and fly back at night. I see them flying, like, mm-hmm. over the property and they come back. So I'm taking my chances. I'm going to take my chances. I'm going to let the pile of eggs sit for, I guess it might take 21 days, and we'll see. In those 21 days, it's not going to be extremely hot. So if any of the eggs go bad. Anyway, I'm going to take my chances, and I'll let you guys know if any of the ducks are uh, catting around. Hmm. I just realized something, and I'm sure everybody knows this, but I just realized it now. Ducktails is not tail as in like tail feather. It's T A L E S. It's it. Yeah, it's a. St- I just realized that. <laughs> Ducktails. Welcome is to 1984, duck. David, or yeah. whatever year. <laughs> so Wait, now, you mean Ducktails is like duck not tails. about the tail, like the duck's tail behind its legs? You mean it's about the story that it tells? Like it was telling yeah. this morning, telling the duck tale. Yeah. She was. Not he. She. Huh. Yeah. I'm done with well, my duck story. I'm done. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> duck we'll tales. Have a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I hope your eggs hatch. We'll see. It's a strange like thing to say now. to a person that you whatever. Uh so what else is going on? <laughs> it it snowed last night. What? There's a there's, it's been there's a tiny little bit of snow on the ground and it's gonna be seventy degrees today. Oh, I hope it's cold. I mean, I hope it's warm today. It's been too cold. Yeah, I think we're done with the snow finally. It's going to be yeah, 70 I'm done with the here. Snow. <laughs> it's going to be 70 here as well, but super rainy this evening. So It's funny. As it, this week began to get colder and colder and colder, I kept that like through the weekend. I kept saying to myself, I don't need a jacket. I'm going to tough this out. I'm going to tough this out. And I looked at my watch and it was 17 degrees. I was like, I need oh. to get my coat back out of the closet. It's unbelievable up here. Wow. Yeah, it's 
it's beginning to change here this week. I mean, it's it's definitely not warm yet, but the the highs and lows have both risen. You know what I mean? So like the lows are, are in the I guess the low forties or something. So it's becoming reasonable. Even though I was sitting at a soccer game last night, I was pretty cold. <laughs> I was I should have had a blanket or something. So we're not there yet, but it's definitely beginning to get springtime here. Very close to dad short season. <laughs> Help yourself. Cargo shorts. Help yourself. <laughs> well, what's going on? Like, uh, David, what have you been up to? So this week we made an outdoor patio table and Ooh. we shot it outside. We thought, hey, let's try to limit the tools that we can use. So it was basically a circular saw, an angle grinder, and a drill. And the days that we decided to shoot happened to be like the two coldest days of the month. So it was mm. like 20-some degrees both days. Um. So yeah, spring is here, but it's it hasn't arrived. So that's what we've been working on, and it came out really cool. Uh, it's got a glass top, and we put some vinyl coloring coloring underneath the glass to give it some some character. And it should be a really really simple project with like super simple joinery and no welding, and and just hmm. kind of cutting the pieces and then assembling it. So hopefully that goes well. Awesome. So it's it's wood and glass. It's it's wood, glass, and metal. So I got some angle iron and just cut them to size for the legs. This is a, it's like a coffee table patio table mm. type thing. So it's it's only fifteen inches tall, and I didn't know this, uh, but they make feet for angle iron that just kind of it's L shaped and it slips right over the bottom. So oh, you like can a use plastic injection. Yeah, yeah, it's real rubbery, so it's super, super soft. Because I'm drawing this up, I'm like, how can I keep this from screwing up the the concrete on the patio? And I just kind of look it up, and of course, you can buy rubber feet for angle iron. And of course, when you only need four, you have to buy a pack of fifty. <laughs> so, <laughs> anybody needs some angle iron feet? I got you. It's for the two inch wide angle iron. So it's it's just that, and then we drilled some holes in it, uh, then attached that to wooden apron so we use cedar so it wouldn't rot and it's just held together with with bolts so there's no fancy joinery and there's no no welding and then the top has a bunch of panes of glass and each piece of glass is a different color so cool similar to to sorry go ahead it's supposed to be something that anybody can make you know no woodworking or metalworking skills just a a weekend warrior type project awesome um, I was going to say, similar to the feet for the angle iron, uh, just so everybody knows, there are also typically feet or rubber caps that you can get for pretty much every size of you know steel rod, steel pipe, uh, square tube, mm. all of that stuff. There, people make you know covers for those for putting feet on things or just safe ends on things. So you can find those for pretty much anything. But good to know. Yeah, Jimmy, what have you been up to? Oh, still bumping along on my pottery. I was able to make tiles. Like my my plaster molds dried. Then I was able to squish pottery in there. Somewhat close to being okay. Not not perfect. Not horribly bad, but somewhere in the middle. Anytime I do a pottery, I think it's just going to be an experiment. So I'm gonna every time I do a pottery video, it's just going to be called tile experiment. So this way I can get out in the end when it doesn't look perfect. But I have about. 15 tiles drying outside and they're not deforming too badly. They're drying, they're six by six. So they're drying, they kind of pucker up in the middle first and then they go a little flat. And I realized there was at one point, there's a, 
everything goes through stages and the stages of the clay drying. Then still, while it's like kind of leathery, you could still kind of flatten it back out while it starts to kind of pucker. And then there's a level where it gets, no matter what you do, the slightest little bend, you try and bend it back, it cracks. So every process that is new to me, you look for all these little clues and things that you should remember the next time. So even though the clay still feels damp and still feels pliable, any, any movement in it will just put a crack in it. And so I realized that this time around. So I went in and looked at the tiles as they're drying and any deflection, any deformity in them, I just have to live with, which isn't bad. It's not bad, bad. It's not super potato chippy, but as tiles dry, they dry at different rates at different thicknesses. So the corners dry faster than the middle. And so as the corners shrink, the middle puckers up. So learning about these type of things and I'm sure there's ways. I actually saw a video where a guy was drying his tiles, but he had, he was making hundreds of them and he kind of sandwiched them between pieces of material, like pieces of cardboard. So, but he also had plenty of time to let them dry. So he would let them dry on a rack, but they were kind of confined to a space. So that's what I'm doing. I'm just Hmm. learning how to do pottery and the intricacies of the different types of materials. So I use two different types of clay, a white clay and a, and a terracotta. But, uh, you know, it's, it's such a, it's such a complex science and it's as simple as it seems. There's so much nuance to using clay. Hmm. My dad came over yesterday and he is a retired dentist. So he was a dentist for years and years and years. And he was, they list my parents listened to the show. Hi, mom and dad. And so they were listening to last week, and you were talking about the plaster drying. And he came over, and he was like, you need to tell Jimmy that he's using the wrong plaster because plaster <laughs> shouldn't take that long to dry. And basically, he was telling me about, um, in dentistry, the plaster that they used to use for taking impressions inside the mouth um, and, and for pouring different types of molds that they were making and all this stuff. Um, dental plaster is a little bit different, and it will set up in about 30 minutes, I, th- I think he said. Yeah. And so there's actually a company near us in Louisville called Whitmix. And that's what I was looking up earlier that I wanted to tell oh, you. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And they do the plaster for that, you know, for dental stuff. They, I'm sure. How would you say that? Too. How would you spell it? W-H-I-P-M-I-X. M-I-X. X. Whitmix. Um, so just, you know, check them out. But also just any dental plaster is going to have a different... It's going to set up faster. Yeah. I'm sure it has different properties. I don't know all the ins and outs of it or anything, but he mentioned that because he has a lot of experience with it. And he also reminded me that when my grandfather used to make these little, um, he would carve or mold out of clay these little houses, historical houses around our town. And then he would take alginate or silicone and make a little mold of them and then make a plaster backer for that mold. And then pour more of this plaster in the mold to make mm-hmm. a little house. So mm-hmm. I grabbed one of these to show you. Oh, cool. Not that people oh, listening beautiful. can see. Um, but so he would pour these little, this is Abraham Lincoln's boyhood home that he did that's from oh. around here. And so he would carve these out of clay and then make the mold. And I remember oh, him being over here when he would, he would like take that alginate or silicone. I think it was a silicone. And he would paint it. He would brush it on. And he'd make like a skim coat around the whole thing. And then he would take that whole covered object and dunk it in a box upside down of plaster. So it right. had a backer to it that was all specific. 
And then after everything mold. dried, he would pull the clay out and then just pour more of this stuff in it. But anyway, this is the plaster that yeah. he used. It's that same stuff. And it's really, you know, it's really hard. It's not plaster of Paris. Yeah. Um, it doesn't chip easily and all that. But anyway, might lead you on to something. Oh, that's new. good. No, that's good to know. Well, uh, I the molds stayed damp for a long time, which just led me to believe that if I try to demold them too soon, that the detail will pull out of the most important spot where the images is against the face of the tile. And I did one batch and that did happen. And then the second batch, it didn't happen so badly, but in some cases it was too bad. And so I made a second set of molds. And the second time I waxed the CNC form with furniture wax and they popped right out. But I also did make extra sure that I waited a day or two to pull them out. So I waited till they kind of fell out. I was waiting Mm. for for the plaster to give them up instead of trying to pull them out. And anyway, so, it worked out okay. Now I just have to develop my technique of pushing clay into the tile mold. Because as you push in, sometimes you double imprint it and you're not realizing. So I started this technique of just taking a piece of wood and just gently paddling it. And you paddle the clay into the mold and it starts to really get rid of any of those double impressions. Because you'll push in with your thumb and as you're pushing in, it might lift back up a little bit. And you push back down and you have a double impression. And then you peel it. You think it's perfect. You peel it out and you're like, oh, there's a whole double impression on the whole face of this thing. So am I understanding this correctly that you're pushing clay into a plaster mold? Yep. That's yep. The, so does the plaster not pull moisture out of the clay at a, at a different rate than the backside that's exposed to the air? It does, but you push it in, and what I'm doing is I'm waiting 10 minutes till the clay pulls, the, the, the plaster pulls some of the moisture out of the clay, and then I turn it over and kind of tap it, and then the, the tile falls out, and then I go put it on a cookie tray and let oh, it dry. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. I got you. You're not letting it dry in there. I yeah, see. no, no, no. Yeah. So it's, uh, that's a good point. Yeah, no, it's um, – somebody did tell me a technique. They made a bunch of these little small things, kind of like these little dove shapes. The one side, it would be kind of like an ice cube tray mold, which is basically what I made. And they put all these clay things in them. I said, how do you get them out? He goes, well, we just put it on two spacers from the table face down. And then as they dry, they fall out of the mold. They only fall like a half of an inch. And so as these clay starts to dry and shrink in the mold, they they dry it and they fall out. He goes, if you leave it there for like an hour, all four of them or five of them will fall out. But these are bigger and broader, so they're not going to fall out as easily. I had to kind of manipulate them out. But uh, they did come out if you let them sit and the plaster is sucking the moisture out of the clay. And once it sucks enough of it out, it lets go of the tile, you know, within 10 minutes. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. So like all these like subtleties, I'm starting to like, you know, make it basically, you know, you learn a language, you you start to learn a language of a foreign language and you start to learn the basics. And so I'm learning the foreign language of how to work with clay and the, the, the intricacies of what to expect when I do this, what to expect when I push it in this way, what to expect when I paddle it in, what to expect, you know. So this is kind of a, this could be a topic all in of itself. I was thinking about something the other day related to what you just said. So mm-hmm. uh, my question to you is with, as you're learning this stuff on pottery, because next week you'll probably go weld a trailer again or something, you'll do something <laughs> entirely different, right? Because <laughs> right. I know you love trailers. You're going to do a trailer. Oh, don't even talk um, about it. So are you, are you just hoping that your brain holds all of this stuff or do you keep a log of of any kind, you know, like I tried this and it did this, or I this thing don't like don't do this again. It didn't work. Do you Dear keep diary. that at all, or does it just float around? Dear diary, I know it floats today. around. I'm just asking. Uh, <laughs> no, I it, it 
you just develop a vocabulary and sort of, what do you call that? You call that a moment, mus muscle memory? So just remember once we had this conversation, and I think of this conversation every single time I go to do this. So I had my clay molds and my plaster molds and my clay, and I was like, there's no reason to film for the first half hour. Let me play. So I'm playing all by myself, no camera, nothing. And I always think of Bob, you, when I said to you, I go, you, oh, you filmed the last one because the last one you look like you know what you're doing. You don't film the first one. This one you're trying to figure it out. And you're just like, oh, that's a good idea. I always think of it when I told you that. <laughs> uh, so I fiddled around with it and I developed the technique. And like I said, I, I pushed in at first. I started getting double impressions and then I started paddling it in gently though. You obviously could break everything. So I'm just literally like, like that type of movement, I started realizing what's so bizarre, and people are going to think this is crazy, but it is blacksmithing and manipulating clay are exactly the same. But one is extremely hard to, to manipulate the material. The other is obviously super simple. So it's really hard in one way and you can overcompensate and it's really easy in the other way and you have a hard time manipulating it gently. So what I realized recently, I made this and I can show you. Happens to be sitting here. I made this during a, an experimental blacksmithing uh, event that we did, and this is a uh, it's a two prong fork for like a barbecue fork, and it's made out of a flat file. And so the technique of taking a flat file that is maybe a quarter inch thick by two inches wide and squeezing it down to like a full half by half inch material, squeezing it on the long side. During that process, I realized. It takes little gentle taps, but a lot of them, any little tap is going to give you something. Any little tap will actually result in something. And lots of little taps will result in something that's quicker to see happening. And so the same thing is with clay. So when you're paddling the clay, it's going to fill inside the mold. Even though it doesn't feel like you're doing anything, every little tap is moving material to in the direction you're trying to move it. So... That's the one thing I really learned just playing around with the clay this week is like how much it is exactly like blacksmithing. You could fish mouth the clay. And then if you fish mouth it, that means if you kind of take a big chunk and push it down, then the two outside corners start to surround the side and the side goes inside the clay and never actually sticks to itself. So you end up with an air bubble in it and you could do the same exact thing. It's called a, you know, a, a shut off or a, what do they call it? An inclusion or a cold shut. They call it a cold shut in blacksmithing. And you end up with like an air bubble in your material, which usually always ends up right at the edge of your blade. So all of a sudden your blade's got a big chip in it because the material didn't close back on itself and stick. Same exact thing happens with clay. So just it's, it's funny how I'm doing both of them now a little bit more often. And I'm starting to realize the similarities. And most people would never in a million years think those two things are similar, but they are so similar. And uh, so just developing a vocabulary. It's like well, next time I blacksmith, I'm going to, have these images of what's happening with the clay. And the next time I'm playing with clay, I'm going to have images of what happens in blacksmithing. And those are going to basically become the same vocabulary, but just a matter of the intensity of how you do it. Hmm. Done. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I was asking that is because, I, I mean, I know that, you know, all of us kind of switch disciplines pretty often. And when you do something new, like if you're heads down enough in that one thing for long enough, You'll retain those details and you'll – at least the big important lessons that you're learning, you'll remember them the next time you come around to it in six months or whatever. <clears throat> um, but I I was questioning whether I retain all of those things recently 
mainly because I've been watching a whole bunch of sheet metal welding videos lately. You know, looking at the Carmen key and all the body work I have to do. I'm trying to figure out the best way to actually do sheet metal repair because I have just so much to do. And I, I'm going to have to experiment with different things, but I'm trying to watch a lot of other people who have more experience just to pick up all those little details. And I've seen two or three videos with different techniques and, you know, each one of them, they're throwing in these little bits of like, make sure that you don't do this, make sure that you do this. And I was on the treadmill when I was watching one of these recently and it was just full of great tips. And I'm like, I can't write any of this down. And I know I'm not going to remember it between watching this and then watching five more videos before I go out and actually try one of these things. So I started thinking about when you're learning a new task or a new skill and you have all of these things that you're either learning from other people or they're just experiential you know, well, I slapped the clay too hard and I had the double impression thing. I don't remember not to do that again. How do you track that stuff? Or how do you like just keep it? Um, because I don't think I'm great at remembering all of those things. I can remember it for a short while. But if I take a break for six months and I come back and I do more body work, I'm not going to have all of those little things. A good technique that I like, and it's just something that I, I realize I do as I learn from people who know more than me, whether it's a video or whether I'm in person with somebody. Like, for instance, I've learned a lot of blacksmithing from blacksmiths. And they'll start, anybody that's teaching me something will start telling me, well, you got to do this, you got to do that, and you got to do this, and you got to, and I'll say, so, slow down, stop. Tell me the first, you got to do this. Like, okay, give me a minute. Let me try that. And whether it's an app on the computer, like, for instance, Fusion 360, don't give me 16 things. Give me one, two things to do. And so I experiment, get some experience with that. And then I go, okay, what happens next? Okay, then what happens after that? And then each time I'm trying to do it. So personally, for instance, if I'm at the anvil and someone's giving me a technique, I go, let me try that technique. Okay, and now do this. So you're basically adding techniques to the technique. So if you give me all too much at once, I'll be like, oh, forget it. I don't want a blacksmith anymore. But if you give it to me slowly and then I start to see the experience of what's happening as you're telling me or as I'm learning or as I'm reading (coughs) about it. So I don't watch too much about anything at one time. Unless I'm, I mean, obviously we do deep dives on certain types of information. Like if you're going to buy something, you do as much research on something as you can. But if you're just going to learn a technique, I kind of, I don't do too deep of a dive on certain techniques. I just get little bits and pieces of it because I want to learn it myself. I want to almost make the discoveries myself because I trust my, uh, my ability to tinker, to find new ways or oddball ways or ways that work better for me. It's funny, like every time I, I blacksmith around professional blacksmiths, they, tell, they give me hammer technique because I have this kind of dainty little hammer technique that I like. And I, I'm almost embarrassed to work around other blacksmiths because I almost always get corrected. Like, you should try this. This is going to be a problem. And, and then I'm like, all right, cool. Thanks. And then I go back to doing the way I like to do it. And it just works for me. And it's part yeah. of that, uh, like that Zen of like, if I hit it a million times, it's going to do what I want. Where like somebody be like, oh, you, you need a heavier hammer. You give it two whacks. It goes where you want. Sometimes I want that, but not always. I'd rather approach it slowly and kind of see the learning in it. So mm-hmm. I'm that way about a lot a of things. Yeah. About of, like I just want to do it myself and see what, how it turns out. <clears throat> and it's weird that this the body work specifically, and there have been other things like this where I'm almost I'm not I'm not scared of doing it, but I know that I have so much in front of me to do that I kind of almost don't want to waste the time to just like goof around with it. And, right. I mean, they're body panels. It's like if I blow a hole through a body panel, then it's another thing I have to fix. So something is a little bit different about this. And I think maybe the car stuff in general, I just don't have a history with it. And they're, 
are different ways to do it, but it seems like most things there is a best way to do it. And so I, yeah. I think I'm just trying to find that, which is a little different for me to do research on stuff. Usually I just kind of jump in and yeah, but no matter what it is, you're still going to have to figure out your own technique. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I'm to trying tinker. to figure out where to start more than anything. So yeah. if specifically, you know, I, I was looking at these patch panels. So if you, a lot of people will make patch panels, they'll um, make the new panel. This is for anybody listening. You guys may already know this, but <clears throat> they'll make a new panel. They'll lay it on the car, get it fit right. They trace it. They cut out what's underneath it with an offset in. So they're cutting out less. Then they add a flange around that. And then they put this new panel on that. And they can put that on by spot welding it. They can put it on by like full welding it. They can put it on by adhesive. And then I found that other people do it the other way where they cut the hole, make the panel to fit the hole, flange the panel and put the panel in from the backside. And then they weld that or they use adhesive or whatever. Other people do cut and butt where they cut a panel that fits exactly in a hole and they like, you know, slightly grind the edges to make it fit perfectly. And then they, they weld butt welds all the way around to get these two pieces together. And there's advantages to all of, and I'm sure there's other types too, but there's advantages to all of those types of, of methods, but they are entirely different processes to learn and prepare for and to finish. And so I started doing one and I'm like, well, wait a minute, these other people are doing that thing. Like, why is, why, why do one over the other? And then I'm like, okay, did I do the wrong thing? So now I'm trying to research multiple ways to do effectively the same thing and just trying to balance like, you know, which one should I kind of adopt as the way I'm going to do it? Because I have so many panels to replace all the way around the car, some inside, some outside, you know, all that stuff. I'd worry about information overload. Knowing too many techniques is just going to be paralyzing for me anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think I've kind of narrowed it down to where... I'm t- I'm starting to identify places on the car where I can where like uh, the inside thing m- it makes more sense here because I have access to the backside of it. If I don't have access to the backside of it, then you know the cut and butt thing makes more sense. But I have to be a lot more careful because there's no you know pieces are seamed right up against each other, and if you mess that up, then it's a hole you have to fill versus welding through two pieces at the same time to weld them together. And so I'm starting to try to put this technique works better over here. This one works better over here. I'll get to try them all. Um, yeah. That's what so. you're going to have to do. Yeah, I think so. You're going to have to experiment. Yep. Um, it's funny. I don't know. Did I tell you about the welder deal? No. Okay. So I started welding <clears throat> uh, my first patch panel in on the car last week. And I was following uh, you know, one set of recommendations for how to do this, but that recommendation was incomplete. So I ended up welding this thing on, but not paying attention to the fact that I was not cooling the welds after I was putting them in. And so this thing ended up kind of puckering because everything shrinks when you weld it. And so I got the job done, but now I have kind of a low spot where this patch panel was. And so I'm going to have to body, and it's not terrible. But I also started looking around. I'm like, well, I'm using a 220 welder, and other people use 220 welders. Is that too much? Even at the lowest voltage setting, is it just too much heat? And so I have this Lincoln welder, this 220 one that I bought a while ago to have out there to do all of this work specifically. And then from reading around, it's just too hot. 
Hmm. And so I had to go buy. I didn't have to. I chose to go buy a 110 cheaper MIG welder just so that I can more mm. easily do sheet metal work. Right. You're not putting too much heat into the sheet. Was that yeah. successful? Um, I haven't. I got it set up. I haven't actually tested. That's what I'm going to do today when I go out there. Um, but it was weird. I got to be honest. It was kind of weird walking into Harbor Freight and being like, give me your cheapest welder. Because <laughs> <laughs> 20 bucks. Turns out they're not actually that cheap at Harbor Freight, to be clear. But, um, yeah, so I went and bought kind of like the lowest one that seemed, you know, reasonable at Harbor Freight to try out. And I think it's probably going to work. I got it all set up and uh, got everything dialed to what the little chart on the inside says for sheet metal and for the gauge that I'm working on. So today I'm going to go out and actually try a couple different techniques on some scrap, which is another thing that I don't usually do. But um, so I'll report back and see if that helped. But I think it will. I think it will. It was weird to buy a cheaper welder, you know. Like I've been trying to up everything over the last several years. You know, you get a nicer tool here and nicer tool there, and you kind of level everything up. And then I'm like, I need the cheapest welder I can find. <laughs> <laughs> but um, let's see. Welder. For me this week, we have a video coming out that I actually finished a couple of weeks ago. But it's uh, an organization thing for the back of my Land Cruiser. Many years ago, I made a big black toolbox to go in the back of my truck like it was like four feet square or something it was huge because i didn't have back seats and then not too far after that we moved up here and then i got back seats so i had to get rid of that thing when we moved and so behind my back seats in that little like 12 inch area behind your back seat and the tailgate you know that always just fills up with garbage and everything it's been full of garbage for several years so i made a nice little organization thing that fits in there that holds containers so that when the um, when the tailgate is up it's completely hidden and you just have like a shelf right at the tailgate so when you because like the back of my you know vehicle when you lift the glass the glass and the tailgate are separate so you can lift the glass you have a nice shelf there when you lower the tailgate you have a bunch of openings with slide in plastic containers ammo boxes and some other ones so I can keep everything organized. They all slide in. And then when you close the tailgate, they're locked into place. So they're not going anywhere. And this whole box is locked down to the car. So it's stable and not going to you know, float around if the car flipped over or anything like that. So um, it, it's super easy. But it, it's plywood and aluminum channel just to kind of dress it up. But it looks pretty legit. Like I'm, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. It's a... Very, very simple project, but, you know, it's way more organized. And I think it looks kind of like a like a pro deal that you would spend way too much money on at a truck store to, you know, to buy a thing for your car. So, Bob, I thought I of you this morning because uh, mm-hmm. we joke, we talked before we got started about, like, doing what you do to just kind of inspire yourself. So this morning I, I had to go visit my friend's house on the mountain, which is about eight miles up a mountain. Around here, anybody knows New York State, Wyndham Ski Mountain. And then on the way back down, I said, let me take a different path. Let me see what I might find. You know, I'm always looking for old trucks. And I saw sticking out of the front of a barn that I never saw before because I never went down this side of this house, a Toyota Land Cruiser, the nose of a beautiful red and white Toyota Land Cruiser poking out of a barn covered with dust. You're going to have to buy it. You go buy it. I'm going to have to go buy it. Join the Toyota Land Cruiser Club. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I know it's I think a guy a who, Facebook group somewhere. <laughs> the guy runs a farm stand. So next time I see the farm stand open, I might pop in and just 
give a, give a question. It looks like it could possibly be his project that he works on just the way we all do, but might not be. It might just be like, ah, I'm done with that. You could have it. Yeah. You never know. Let's you ask. That's yeah. True. Well, ask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you said we had kind of a topic. You want to take that and me explain it? Yeah. Did we? What was the topic? I forgot. <laughs> Said it. Well, I guess maybe things up spring cleaning. Oh, spring cleaning. Yeah, spring cleaning and changing things up because it's spring. And and uh, this weekend, Rob Rojas came and worked at my shop, and he did an amazing organizing. What I thought could never be organized. I mean, since Aaron's been gone, we've been just using the shop and feigning attempts at putting things away, and feigning attempts at organizing countertops, and feigning attempts at. getting rid of things and deciding what I do and don't need. But this weekend, Rob was around and he forced me to look at things and be like, okay, we don't need that. All right, do we need eight roll presses? Do we need 16 circular saws? All right, we're going to make a pile of things that can go. Like whenever we do events up here, I'm just going to start How getting stuff away. How many bandsaws did you get rid of? No, no bandsaws. No <laughs> bandsaws. Oh, man, that's off limits. I can't. Not yet, not yet. No, but there's like tons and tons of repetitive hand tools. Like for instance – uh uh, the Paslo nail guns that I got when I did a television show in 2009, I got a set of a finish nailer and framing gun. Every time I open those things, I fiddle with them to get them to work. And now there's so many good available nail guns that just run by a battery. There's no reason to get these things that have the gas and the nail and the battery. And the... So I said to Rob, take them. Just take them, sell them on Facebook market, do anything. But stuff like that, like things I just don't look at. And they just, they sit there and I'm like, oh, maybe I'm going to use that one day. And at this point in my life, I got to really make a decision. Like, do I really, am I really going to use that? And down the side driveway, there is so much material and I haven't used any of it in more than a year. I don't need any of it. So I'm going to either give it completely away or discard it. Uh, materials in the way of like extra two by fours with a couple of nails in them or, you know, recycled wood from inside the house. I have all these, every time I pull out a ceiling or a wall, I end up with like six or eight two by fours with a thousand nails in them. I'm like, oh, one day I'll pull all the nails out of that proper, really two inch by really four inch two by four made in like 1920 and do something with it. But I never do. So spring cleaning and is really, it's really, really, it it really gives you a nice supercharge when you decide to clean up and get rid of stuff like we just did in the basement. But go ahead, Dave. The music world, there's a website called Reverb and it's basically, uh, it's just a place to sell used uh, musical gear. Is there anything like that for tools? Like, I mean, I I know you can sell things on Facebook Marketplace and, and eBay, but when you sell something on on reverb it's like you start typing the name of the gear that you're selling and then all of a sudden it just auto populates like a title and gives you a description and right. uh it, it's That's just cool. made for what you have and it's and it's super easy to sell on there like years ago there was a fan uh, there was a fan and I, I i will never remember his name and i have to search my email for him and we talked a few times and it's been years since we talked but while we were talking we were going to he was going to help develop a website where we do like a maker exchange it's mm. like, who needs a circular saw? This. It's available. Yeah. So, uh, and, and it was basically just going to be like a, a maker exchange for free tools. Basically, free tools are really tools really inexpensively. Not anybody trying to make a buck, really more just trying to help the community out. But that never really materialized. And that's a lot of work that somebody would need to dedicate themselves to to do for free, basically. Because, you know, who's going to make a website that doesn't make money? It's, it's going to be a hard sell. <laughs> yeah. You know, the goal is not to make money. The goal is to just help everybody. 
that's why, you know, you think to yourself, it's funny, my dad, when my dad does cleaning, and my dad's getting up there, but he will save something to give to somebody that he knows. Like he'll save a, an old door with hardware on it to give to somebody that he knows. I go, why don't you just put it on the street and give it to somebody that you don't know? Is there any difference in that? He's like, no, no, well, I know so-and-so. I'm like, but he knows it's here and he hasn't picked it up. Just put it on the street. Does it matter whether you personally know the person that gets to use this old junk or not? And he's like, ah, like he kind of made a face like, I guess not. I go, so put it on the curb. You don't have to keep it in the back and catalog it and expect to hand it directly to somebody that is related to you or somebody, somebody's friend. Like my dad almost needs that like endorphin rush to be like, get the thank you. I'm like, just put it outside and just let anybody take it. If somebody needs it, they will take it. And so it's the same thing with me. It's like, I don't need to make an arrangement to give it to somebody. I could just say, give it to the flea market and say, hey, you guys could have this. And, you know, if you make two bucks on it, because there's a flea market attached to my building. So we have a big giant pile of stuff I'm going to give to the flea market. And then uh, breaking my rules that I just said about my dad. Other than that, I'll take in the kind of more handy electric tools, like electric circular, so things that I don't use as much anymore. And I'll bring them to the maker camp and I'll just put them in a pile. We do, when we do the maker camp, we do a table that's just an exchange. People just put stuff on it and take stuff away from it. So I'll just do that. I think when we, um, when we met up in Rochester somewhere, uh, one time you just, you brought your truck and there was just full of free tools that you gave away. Oh, that was, uh, the, uh, in Boston when we did maker. Oh, 100. Yeah. 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 So I'm doing the same thing. I'm like. I got a purge and I'm just going to do the same thing. I like a maker camp or whatever. I'm just going to give away. I had 10 sanders and 10 drills and 10 circles. Like these things come to me, not all brand new. You know, what happens to me a lot is people in my vicinity will say, I have a garage full of tools. Do you want them? And I'll go and I'll take them. And now people just bring them to me because they know where my shop is. So locals will be like, I don't know what to do with this. You want it? I'm like, give it to me. I'll find someone to give it to. So those things add up. And then all of a sudden here I am with a pile of junk that I need to do something with. Mm. we uh we we have this dress we got a new dresser and so our old dresser which was somewhat decent uh it's it's actually it's on our porch now because we had no place to put it and i asked my brother the other day like hey do you do you want this and he's like no but maybe my dad so which would be my stepdad maybe he'll take it he could use it because it's solid wood maybe he could use it and i was like no, I don't want it to be torn apart. Like it, it, it still has a good life as a dresser in it, and, and it's in decent shape. And then later on, I'm thinking, what does it really matter to me where this dresser ends up? So <laughs> it's like, it a little struggle that I had in my head. Yeah, yeah. But how are you going to organize all the stuff on your porch without a dresser? <laughs> it's you know, the funny thing is, it is full of uh, junk that we we don't know what to do with. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a problem. It's so really got, cathartic um, to put stuff down at the end of my driveway. Uh, that, that, like when I put something in the four-wheeler or the side-by-side and I bring it down to the end of the driveway and just put a free sign on it, that is so cathartic. Oh, oh we don't even have to put free. Scrap metal, yeah. if, scrap, it is gone within 12 hours yeah. for sure every time. Yeah. Well, we put out a bunch of uh, extra material that I had left over from the porch the other day. On the front, I have a little hill on the front of my house, so we lean it on the hill. But it looked like a construction site, so I didn't want anybody to think it like, Am I stealing somebody's project? So I put a sign there that says take it. And people were more than happy to take the two by sixes and stuff. I have random sizes that I'm just not going to use. I will, but I'm, they're just going to become a pile of rotted wood before I use them. So my parents have the 
kind of thing where you set anything, absolutely anything in front of their house on the street and it will disappear within minutes. And we've joked about how little time it takes for things to just disappear. I took, when we were doing our kitchen, I took our dishwasher to uh, the restore, the goods, Goodwill restore thing. And I'm like, it's perfectly fine. We're getting a new one to match our other appliance or, you know, the cabinetry and whatever. This thing works great. It's like two years old. And they were like, no, we don't want it. I'm like, well, hmm. <laughs> what, is, <laughs> what do I do with this thing? And so, and also they won't take, just so you know, they won't take um, fluorescent lights because the ballasts in them are now classified as hazardous material. So they just won't take those. And I didn't really want to throw them away because they still worked and everything. Anyway, so I took them to my parents' house, asked my dad if, like, do you care if I just set this stuff out there? I live a couple of miles from my parents, not far. I pulled up, unloaded this stuff in front of their house, drove home, called my dad. I was like, hey, I just let you know I put some stuff out there, whatever. He's like, yeah, it's already gone. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if people are just watching. I mean, it's kind of a major road, but it's not, you know, it's not like a major road and uh yeah so now we have we know that we can pretty much get rid of anything just by putting it in front of my parents house which i'm sure they don't really appreciate but it works pretty well when i was in high school i built a uh like a quarter pipe skateboard ramp and i got excited and built it in my basement too big to go out the back door so i ended up having to cut it down to fit it out the back door but it's so big that my point in saying that is it was very large and it was in our backyard for a long time on our basketball, like, concrete pad. And uh, so I skated on it and everything. And then I went to college, and this thing had been out there for uh, three or four years. You know, just, like, terribly made, cut down to fit out a door, painted all terrible, sitting outside for several years. They drug it up to the front of the house, and it disappeared the uh, in the same afternoon. And I don't know why anybody would want that, because there was nothing skatable on it there was no good material to get from it anything like that but i guess whatever <laughs> a couple of weeks ago i put out a it was a it's an outdoor table like something where you would eat off of and kind of a cool design it was left by the previous owners but it had one two three four five, 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 like 12 uh tiles in it like you could just go to home depot and you could get tw- uh tiles and just place them in there and so you could kind of change the top if you wanted to well i put the whole thing out by the road somebody took all the tiles out and then took the table and then left me with a pile of tiles and that i i'm like no you take the whole thing you don't get to pick and choose you don't get to break it apart you take the whole thing that's funny so david do you do you have stuff that you're I mean, you, you originally were talking about kind of switching stuff up just to switch it up because yeah, you feel like it needs to change. Are I, I you get, doing uh, that right now? I get in cruise control and uh, everything feels all safe and, and good. And I don't know that I like cruise control. So I like changing things up just to make it more fun and interesting for me. And I don't know what that actually means, but uh, but it does feel like I'm just kind of coasting. And whenever you coast eventually it comes to an end. So I'm like, I can't coast anymore. I got to I gotta throw some wrenches in here and, and change things up. And I, I, I mean, I really don't know what that is, but it just feels like there needs a need to a change. I'm not saying with the videos or, or anything, it just, just in general. And, um, and, and one of the things that just hit me yesterday while my brother was here was like, you know what? 
I need to change one of these walls in the shop. Let's let's go get some paneling. Let's paint it. And it was just like a decision I made in the morning. I'm like, I need I need change right now. And so we went to Home Depot. We got some paneling. We brought it back. We painted it. We put it up on on one of the walls. And uh, it's almost like a recharge. Now it's like the shop. It looks slightly different, and I feel better about some things. Hmm. And change just kind of makes me want to work more, I guess. So how do you find, when you have that feeling of something needs to change, I'm in cruise control, how do you find what the thing is that's going to be enough of a motivator? I don't know. I I think, um, I mean, I look at a lot of other maybe creators or businesses or um, successful people and see what they're doing, and sometimes that's a that's, it's a good motivation. Like, oh, I like what th- I like what they're doing. That uh, that feels uh, that feels right. Like, why why can't I do that? Nobody in my circle is, is doing that. Maybe I should do that. Um, so I'm just looking for motivation through other people, and I'm always looking for motivation. Like, I have a hard time just watching a TV show or a, a YouTube video without trying to pull something from it. I. I have a hard time just taking in entertainment. I know Jimmy doesn't watch movies and I do, but I'm like looking for like to see how they lit something or how something was filmed or the angle or their, their approach. I am always pulling motivation from everything. I realize I don't watch movies because my attention span is just so scattered. I guess I must have like a severe case of ADHD, all that other stuff that all those initials, because I will be watching and Taylor is the same way. So the two of us, enable each other we'll be watching a movie and then there'll be like an interesting technique that happens like either with the camera or that somebody's doing on camera and then all of a sudden the two of us are like searching what the character in the movie just did <laughs> you know he might have like uh he might have uh, been making something and uh, you're like wait is that true can you really do that and then all of a sudden the both of us are on google so and like we're completely lost interest in the movie because we we're interested in some <laughs> technique we saw happening in the movie well yesterday uh, we started watching, there's a new Amy Schumer show on Hulu, and I forget what it's called, but I started watching it, and we watched the first two episodes, and they're super weird, and they're very, very low budget, and Kelly's like, it kind of feels like a daytime soap opera type shot, and it feels like they're just shot on like a mirrorless camera, and there's weird angles and weird bad lighting at times, and there's they intentionally create these weird awkward conversations and i just stop watching it and i'm like googling like amy schumer show can't like like something i couldn't identify why some things were weird so i'm like searching you need to find the consensus before you know what to think (laughs) yeah and uh i just like totally lost interest because i'm trying to figure out why they shot it this way and and what techniques they were using yeah it's hard it's it's Hmm. hard to stand out in the crowd these days so it's just so much clutter when it comes to entertainment. Well, for us, um, this between the spring cleaning thing and just trying to change stuff up, I feel like in in our like personal life, like me and Jenny, stuff is always changing. I feel like you know, with we have four kids who are constantly in a new phase. They're constantly into a new thing. They are constantly dealing with something new in their life. Um, we go through all these seasonal things of seasonal sports and seasonal, you know, requirement of you have to be at these places at these times, this part of the year, and then this part of the year it changes and we have indoor soccer and outdoor soccer and, you know, 
competitions out of town for some part of the year and not other. And so it's it's funny to to hear you all talk about like wanting to change things because I just feel like we are constantly mm. changing um, personally, you know. And then when it comes to just the business stuff, <clears throat> just work, I could kind of identify with the, the the feeling of needing to change things. But at the same time, we've had so much change over the last year or so with like the building and, you know, I've started working on a car. And so there's been enough change for me that like I still always have that desire to do new things and to experience new things. But I feel like I'm getting uh, a lot of that. Where I really identify is the spring cleaning thing because I think we have a bad habit. We personally, me and Jenny, have a bad habit of like just, well, we'll get to that garage (laughs) one of these days or we're just going to hang on to this piece of furniture because it was my great-grandmother's table that nobody wants and I don't want to throw it away, but we don't really want it. But, you know, and so we have a lot of that, like even – looking outside of my office here into the room where we used to have our podcast set up and that's all moved. And part of the reason that that moved to the new building was so that I could give some of this basement back to my kids and create that space into something that they would use. They can't because it's still got boxes of stuff that I just haven't gotten around to improving. And I'm finding that even a lot of the stuff that's you know, well-intentioned about cleaning up or spring cleaning or like organizing or downsizing any of those things. I want to do them, but it's hard to justify the making them a priority. And so like for this, this room over here, I was really close to being able to justify the time to go clean it up because uh, one of my kids wanted to have a sleepover and they wanted to invite too many people to fit in their bedroom. And so we were like, oh, wait, I can like go down and clean the basement. I can finally have a reason to make myself go do the thing so that there's a space for them to all hang out, you know, and like play ping pong and not bother us at midnight and stuff. And then they decided not to do it. <laughs> and so I decided not to clean the room. But it's one of those things where I, I think – I keep myself occupied enough that even though I know that that spring cleaning, that kind of reorganization preparation for the rest of the year would be a really valuable thing, excuse me, I keep myself occupied enough that I don't make those things a priority. So I'm trying to figure out how to do that because I think it would be good. Uh, It's just much easier to spend the time on like, well, I guess I'll clean this table off in the shop so that I can do the next next project. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, this is kind of a little... I'm just going to clean this one little area right here. Yeah. Cleaning my personal garage does not add to the business. So I'm going to go clean the the shop table and right. and not pick up stuff that I, that I should be doing. Yeah. So I don't know if there's an answer to that. But both of those things would be helpful, you know, in different ways. But anyway, uh, any other thoughts on... I was going to say one thing that's when it comes to spring cleaning, you look at a pile of junk and you say to yourself, oh, God, I got to deal with that. But similar in technique to the tube, looking through the tube and trying to just isolate something to figure out. I always see a giant pile of junk as a a layer. And at the bottom of that pile of layers is the, the clean spot. Right. So when I see my tabletop, for instance, I just say, let me just grab one thing and make a decision on that one thing at a time. So I'll pick up something and I'll go, oh, this belongs in the brush drawer. So I go and I put it in the brush drawer and I go back and it's like, 
Well, this is a, a, you know, I'm looking around my kitchen. This is a candle that is just completely done. Let me just throw the jar away. I don't need the jar. And then you start making those decisions one at a time and ignoring the big pile. And if you make those decisions one at a time as you go, you're peeling back the layers. And all of a sudden you realize, okay, I've made a decision on 10 things. 10 simple little decisions have led to this room being closer to being organized than it was when I walked in the room. And that's, that's really, it's almost like harm reduction in a way. Mm. It's like harm reduction. It's clutter reduction. Mm-hmm. So we want to try and just like clutter. It's like, don't look at the whole room and be like, oh God, this room is just completely destroyed. I don't know what to do. So that's kind of the, the, the mentality I was taking with Rob this weekend. I was like, he was doing a fantastic job, but I was having an emotional attachment. I was like that guy at the back of the uh, throw it all away truck on the hoarders crying, going, no, I need that. I need that. I need that. No, you know, that reminds me of the time my girlfriend broke up with me. I need to leave it on the wall. You know, so stuff like that. I, I, I'm like trying to do clutter harm reduction, clutter harm reduction, clutter reduction, harm reduction. Trying to come up with a good title. <laughs> clutter reduction. That makes sense. <clears throat> so that's, that's really just trying to do harm reduction. Not looking at a table and saying, this table has to be perfectly clean. Oh, my God, it's driving me nuts. Okay, let me decide what what can I immediately put away and what can I what can I look at and just make a decision on to throw away. So, and it might not all happen at the same time, but reducing that that harm slowly is is how I cope with looking at a big giant pile of stuff and being like, oh, I just want to go home. Yeah, that helps. Yeah, that's definitely something I need to do, especially in like our our home stuff uh, is, you know, it's easy to look around for us and be like, Oh, there's a pile of shoes. Well, they're not my shoes, but they're still there. But I have to just like take the moment to like go tell all of the kids, everybody grab their one pair of shoes or their five pairs of shoes that are in that pile and go take care of it. And then it's done. And nobody had to do all the work. It's right. the same kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's something I need to get better about. Harm reduction. Um, any other thoughts here before we wrap it up? Mm-mm-mm. I'm just looking forward to it getting warm out again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, uh, big thanks to everybody over Patreon that supports the show. We are very grateful for you. And, uh, there's a big list of people over there that help us out at all different levels in all different ways. Uh, but our top supporters are Full Steam Designs, Odin Leather Goods, Rich at Lowen Designs, Blondie Hacks, Fun Kiss, Artistic Creations, You Can Make This Too, Chad from Mancrafting Works by Solo, Albers Woodworks, and Corey Ward. But also, looking through Gordon Crago. Crago? Craig? Crago? Crago. Crago. <laughs> Good old Gordon. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you, Gordon. And a bunch of other people that uh, that help us out over there. And everybody, no matter the level, gets the after show, which you've heard me say it a thousand times probably unless this is your first episode. Then you've never heard it before, which is why I'm going to say it. The after show is a separate podcast feed of like, you know, 15, 20 minutes extra show uh, that's only available through Patreon. So if you want to get that, go over to patreon.com slash making it and join up. And if you don't want that, then you don't have to go over there and everything's cool. So that's that. You guys got anything to recommend? I do. Uh, yeah, I think yesterday Alex Steele put out the part one of his making a socket wrench from Damascus Steel. And, oh, wow. Uh, it's, it, this is going to be a bonkers thing. One of the things, I don't watch every single one of his videos. 
but I will definitely watch every single one in this series. One of the things that I love about him is his ability to, I'm going to make this thing that I don't know how to make yet. But I mean, we all do that, but to do it on camera and knowing that it is going to be an eight part series, like I would be so worried about this is a failure. I can't finish this project. And I've already like, I've been working on this for a month and we're in part five and now I have to stop like his ability to, to do that. So, um, I've had good socket wrenches and bad socket wrenches, like the Harbor Freight ones. They they eventually break. The the reverse forward switch eventually breaks on them. They become loose and they don't work. And that's it's sad because most of my most of my mechanics tools are Harbor Freight and they're just slowly falling apart. And so it was really cool to see what it looks like on the inside because he tears it apart and he's like, ooh, that's going to be difficult to make. And and uh, uh, it's going to be a really fun series watching him do this. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Definitely. I'm going to check it out. Uh, I'm going to recommend Matt Thompson. He's an Instagrammer. And we talked this morning. I think it's probably – we talked a little bit over the years, but we actually had like a, a conversation today. He put out a push stick with cut off fingers and a couple people told him that I did one. So he, he felt a little guilty that he might have stepped in my territory, which I totally didn't care at all. I thought it was funny when I saw it. But he is a great inventor. So that was why we had a little conversation this morning. He said he just didn't know about mine, which is obviously completely something we all come across. And, and I didn't even care at all. Even if he did know about mine, I didn't care if he did it. Well, I, you steal ideas all the time. Source. I, apparently I do. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't want to get you on a rant. We'll, we'll save that for the after show. <laughs> Move along. Move but along. Matt Thompson does great, simple inventions and his woodworking is very, so practical, but like you look at it, you go, ah, that's so simple. And, and it's so, it's so clever in its simplicity, if I could say it like that. So check out Thompson Woodworks on Instagram and uh, tell him I sent you. And uh, he, we have a very similar sensibility when it comes to inventing, but I just love his practical application of his inventions. And one of the funniest Instagram posts that he did, which I think is hilarious, he, he built this beautiful backyard bar for him and his family and friends to hang out in. And as the winter came, he put plastic all around it and he puts up a big sheet of plastic and then literally one minute later walks directly into it on camera. He forgot he put it there <laughs> because it was an open wall that he's used to walking through in the summer. And so I was just scrolling through his Instagram page and I saw the, the thumbnail for that thing. And I'm like, what is happening right there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he put it up and then like one minute later, walked right through it. He didn't break it, but he bounced off it. And it's just hilarious. So That's check awesome. him out. Tell him I sent you. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, mine is somebody I actually talked about this channel a couple of weeks ago, make it custom. Um, mm. And he's, he's, Got some great videos on all sorts of metalworking, you know, a lot of bodywork car stuff. But one of the videos recently that I was watching that's, I think, a little bit older was how to MIG weld thin sheet metal. And so he has this van that he's working on, and he makes basically a new, um, like, rocker panel for it and does some repair around the wheel well. So it's, you know, one big flat face and then one kind of curvy, you know, around the wheel well, the curve, with a lip and there's just so many good techniques on how to make those pieces, how to weld them in without warping over this big, long, straight line, stuff like that. And it just turns out, I mean, it's a van, so it's not, I'm not going to say it's beautiful, but it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> like, he does a great job 
of making these pieces, uh, replacement pieces, and then they just disappear when he paints it. it. It just looks like it was right the whole time. So I learned a whole lot from him in that video, but I've learned a lot from him in, in a lot of his videos. Good stuff. So go check out Make It Custom. Jimmy, don't stab yourself in the nose with your double fork. Oh, yeah. Careful, dude. See what we see. What is... Oh, man. <laughs> you are so far away from us right now that if something went wrong, we couldn't be there. Yeah. We would just... I accidentally to. punctured my nostrils with my double prong fork. <laughs> anyway, man, I wish everybody could have seen that. Well, um, <laughs> I think that's it for this week, unless you guys got anything else. Uh, that's it. That's it. All right, cool. I'm well, gonna, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Later. Uh-oh.